very grateful to be with you today and it seems like it's been a while since we've been here and uh, enjoy every time we get to come and worship uh, with you here at, at Fellowship Church and um, just excited for the opportunity to get to worship with you today and uh, to bring a message. A lot of times as a minister, there can be times where, uh, Brother Brady, Brother Marvin, you, you would understand what I'm talking about. Sometimes we're kind of torn between what it is that we want to speak about. And I was that way. And after uh, Brother Marvin had asked me to come and in the last couple of weeks, started thinking about what it was I wanted to speak on and really got my mind settled late this week and, and kind of started looking at what I, wanted, what I wanted to speak on. And then as we went through the song service this morning, it was pretty obvious that I, I was on the right track. <laughs> at least we're, on the, we're of the same mind. Um, well, what was read this morning for us, um, I, I told Becca when, when he got through reading that, I said, amen. I turned around to her and I said, well, he just preached my sermon. So <laughs> that's good. <laughs> to save us a lot of time. No. Um, but I, I want to talk about a cure for the discontented. A cure for the discontented. In our text will be uh, Philippians 4, uh, verses 11 through 13. Philippians 4, verse 11 through 13. I want to read that text for us, and then we'll pray, and then we'll begin to, to unpack what the Lord has for us this morning uh, from this text. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in what whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that your Holy Spirit uh, ministers to us. Uh, we pray for his presence here today and uh, we pray that uh, everything that is said and done would be to your honor and glory. We know that we're in need of you, that anything we would do on our own would be in vain. So we ask for your spirit uh, to illuminate your word today to us, uh, that your word would uh, come alive to us, that we would leave knowing how to serve you better, knowing more about you. We thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for this church, each one who's here this morning. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Philippians chapter 4, uh, just to give you a little background on, on where this came from, and so I can give credit for the, the title. That's Timothy Guess. So if you see him, say thank you for that wonderful title of A Cure for the Discontented. He asked me to write an article for The Baptist Witness, which is online now, all online now. And that, that'll probably be, so you're getting the preview here. Um, that won't be out until January. I think it's the January, February issue of The Baptist Witness. And he said, you know, of course you can go to any scripture you want to, but, but focus in on this title, A Cure for the Discontented. So I wrote the article and turned it in a couple of days late, um, before, right before uh, Chris, the Christmas holidays, and kind of went back and, and continued to study it, and that's where this message comes from. And so I'm going to begin with a couple of questions, and these are, these are big questions. Uh, these are not questions that are simple answers. These are things you could think about uh, for a long time, and come up with, with a lot of different answers, but I think they're really important questions. 
So I'll begin with this one. What defines and gives meaning to your life? That's a really important question when you're going to talk about the subject of contentment. What defines and gives meaning to your life? Another way to say that would be what is the basis for joy in your life? And, and there's, that, there's really particular words in that. It's not what is the basis for happiness in your life. What is the basis for joy in your life? Because how you view uh, the God of the Bible, yourself, and the world around you will impact every aspect of your life. And, and one of those areas that's going to be particularly affected by your answer to those questions that I just asked is your level of contentment. So what is contentment? Well, that's, a, that's a, actually a difficult thing to define because the world's view of contentment and the biblical view of contentment are going to be very different. And that's really going to be what we're going to talk about today is the difference in those two things. What does the world call contentment? What do we call contentment? Those who are Christians, those who are believers. Well, according to the world, we may attempt to measure our level of contentment by assessing our satisfaction with our current situation and our current circumstances. So where am I right now in my life? What's, are things going my way? Um, do, do I feel happy with my life and where I am? Uh, I, I think the most common example, especially for Americans in the materialistic society that we live in, we would most commonly probably immediately go to economic circumstances. So contentment has a lot to do in American culture with what do I have? How much money do I have? Our vocation, our level of income, our amount of material things, the size of our house, the array of our toys. Yes, adults do have toys. You know you do. Um, you may not call them that, but that's what they are. All of those different things, that becomes kind of a measuring stick for our level of contentment. If I have enough of those things, I'm content. Um, we can also determine our level of contentment according to the world by our status in different areas of life, our, our place in society, our role with our employer. Maybe you don't feel content because you haven't got a promotion or you feel like uh, your employer doesn't value you or, or something like that. Um, in, in our just role as employee, our, our relationships with others can cause us to be discontented. Maybe you're single and, and you long to be married and, and God hasn't blessed that in your life yet. That's, a, that's something that can easily become an area of discontentment. Um, or maybe you're married and it didn't turn out to be the fairy tale, easy, wonderful thing that you thought it would be. Um, and those of you who are married know that marriage, marriage can be difficult. So maybe that's an area of discontentment for you. Even our church situation can sometimes cause us to feel discontent. Well, you know, at our church, there's this problem or that problem, and, and a lot of people, rather than staying and, and doing what they should and working on it, they'll just leave and go to another place, or they won't go to church at all, and they're discontented with their, their church situation. So from the world's perspective, it's based on all of these different circumstances, one modern writer said it this way, contentment means to be happy with what you have, who you are, and where you are. The problem with that is it's very difficult really to determine where we are many times. So in the technology-saturated culture that we live in today, and I think this is really important for young people, but, but for all of us older ones too, we fall into this quite a bit more than we would like to admit. But 
in, in this technology-saturated culture that we live in today, this problem has been multiplied. This, this problem with contentment has been multiplied because there's the sharing of these ideal-looking lives on social media. You know, people don't put the unfiltered truth on social media. Do you know that? that when they, they norm, most normal people, there may be some that do, but most people don't put the worst day on social media or the worst part of their day. They put the best. They put their best foot forward. It looks fantastic. And, and I think this is such a problem with young people today. They see other young people and they're putting all these things, these filtered pictures and these um, just ideal looking lives. And, and that, man, I wish my life was like that because I don't, I don't recognize that. That's not what my life looks like. Well, let me let, me let you in on a little secret. Their life doesn't look like that either. Um, and they, they might be envious of your life if the reality was shown. So it leads many to envy, but their envy is based on an ideal that's not even real. Uh, if you don't think adults can fall into that, uh, you're wrong. Um, people at your work can share, what do they normally share about their family and their lives? Probably normally the, the best parts. So you may be led to envy even from those face-to-face -face conversations that you have with others, comparing our lives to what we perceive as the better lives of others can quickly lead to the sin of discontentment. So there's many problems with viewing contentment in this way. Like I said, what we've been unpacking right now is just the world's view and the world's definition of contentment. And so we'll see that there's a lot of problems with that as we look at the biblical view of what it means to be content and how Paul could talk about contentment in the way he does in Philippians 4 verses 11 through 13. So let's reread that passage. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So Paul, through the book of Philippians, and we're going to go back and, and pick some of this up as we unpack this text, has been building on a foundational principle all the way through the book of Philippians. And then he, it results here in chapter 4 in his practical application of that principle to the subject of his own personal contentment. But before we make those connections, let's just begin to unpack our text there in Philippians 4. And the first thing we want to realize, so point number one, is learning contentment learning contentment so the first thing we should notice is that paul says that contentment doesn't come naturally this is not something that you're going to just have by nature people are not naturally content people instead this is something that paul has learned he says in verse 11 that he has learned and he says in verse 12 that he was instructed so that tells us that this is something that paul is saying we must learn and in between those two statements, he, gets us, he gives us kind of a summary of those lessons that we'll unpack a little bit later. But the lesson Paul is laying out for us, we need to go ahead and understand. So Paul says this is something that has to be learned. And the lesson that Paul is trying, trying to teach us about that, about this learning, is that it cannot be learned apart from grace. So Paul says this lesson that he's laying out for us is, is it cannot truly be embraced apart from a work of grace in the life of the student. So you as a learner of contentment, you're never going to learn the lesson that Paul is trying to teach unless God has changed your heart. 
and unless uh, there is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life and, and there's grace present in your life. Contentment is a grace that we continue to grow in through experience and a deepening of our faith in God. And there's a, there's a clear connection here that you'll see as we go through between the knowledge that Paul talks about. He's talking about knowing something and learning something. That's knowledge and faith. There's a connection between those two things, that knowledge and our faith in God. And, and, and we'll see that as we go through. The working of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer as he experiences both abounding and need will grow this grace of contentment. And that's a really important statement. So when Paul says that this is something we learn, this is something that Paul was instructed in, there's a certain method. So uh, my secular job has always been in education. I've been a teacher, a coach, principal, now I head of school at a private school. And so as, as a teacher, there's different methods that you use, right? Sometimes you use modeling. Uh, sometimes it's just direct lecture, the old sage on the stage, which to me, people badmouth that too much. I love to learn that way. Just get an expert up there and have them talk, and I love to listen. Uh, I, I can learn that way. But, but kids learn different ways, and there's different ways sometimes that we learn. Well, what we're going to find out about contentment is that Paul says you have to learn this through experience. It's an experiential learning that we have to experience both abounding and need. And through that, through the work of the Spirit in those things, we will grow this grace of contentment. Now I want to turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, a kind of a strange passage here. If you just read it at face value, James chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, like I said, you just read that on the face value. It sounds like James may be crazy. Uh, why would we count it all joy when we're falling into diverse temptations? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So, first of all, we'll just talk about that. Count it all joy. How could that be true? Well, if you knew that going through a trial that you would learn something and come out of it on the other side, then you could have joy in that trial. And for the Christian, that's always the case. And we also know who's in control of all of those things. God doesn't temporarily lose control of the world or our lives. And so if we trust the true God of the Bible and know who he is, then we can trust in that. So we can count it all joy uh, when we fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now that word is really interesting word there. Uh, the trying of your the faith worketh patience. That's the spirit at work in your life. That's the construction zone of our lives. And it is most times through difficulty and trial. Uh, just like with anything, discipline and learning a lot of times is the difficult part. Uh, I used to be a basketball coach. And you have to tell your players the practice is not the fun part. The practice is the discipline part, right? And we go through the practice so that we get to the game and you have fun playing the game. Hopefully you have fun uh, playing the game. Well, the discipline, that construction zone of our lives is, is most times difficulty and trial. So he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, this difficulty uh, and the trying of your faith worketh patience. You, through experience, become more patient. You, you learn to lean more on the Lord. You learn to... 
uh, get through trials in, in, a, in a different way. It strengthens your faith. The trying of your faith worketh patience. But then verse 4, I think, is extremely important. He says, but let patience have her perfect work. To me, this is what that means. And this is probably one of the, maybe might be one of the worst sermon illustrations of all time. But I'm going to go ahead with it. If you've ever seen wrestling, <laughs> all right, in wrestling, they'll put somebody in some contorted, crazy, and I'm not talking about the wrestling that Brother Alex does. That's real wrestling. I'm, I'm really more talking about wrestling. The, the, you know, the, the entertainment kind where they'll get somebody and they'll put him in this awkward position and then what happens? He starts tapping on the thing. Okay, I've had enough. I've had enough. Stop. And it stops. Well, here's what I would say about what verse 4 tells us. Let patience have her perfect work. Don't tap out too early of the trial that God has you going through because he has a lesson for you and he intends you to learn it. And if you get out of it too soon in your own way, guess what's going to happen? It's going to come back around. God's going to teach you that lesson. And you're going to learn it one way or the other. Let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Does that sound like contentment? If a, perfect, if, if a person was complete, that's what the word perfect there means. If a perfect is complete and entire, wanting nothing, would you say that's a contented person? I would. I would say that person probably has a high level of contentment. So when God places us in a situation to where the spirit is at work in our life, most times through difficulty and trial, that work is going on. We need to embrace that work. We need to learn that lesson. We need to lean into that and, and the work that the spirit is doing in our life, which will then produce contentment. And this is a progressive thing in the life of a Christian. So contentment is not a spiritual gift, but rather it is spiritual maturity. I think that's an important point uh, for us to understand about this as well. Contentment is not a spiritual gift, but rather a sign of spiritual maturity. As our faith matures, we begin to embrace the assurance and trust in Christ that we see in the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to skip to the end of our text already. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Paul had been through some things, right? Paul had been through a lot of trials. His faith had been tried in many, many ways. And so at this point in his life, as he's sitting in jail, he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Um, there's a, a little group I follow online. It's called the Reformed Sage. And they have, they have a T-shirt that says, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Uh, because people use this verse all the time in completely the wrong way. You know, I can do whatever I want because Christ strengthens me. No, that is not the point of this text at all. It's part of what we're talking about today. What Paul is actually saying there is on the subject of contentment, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. I know how to be hungry and I know how to be full. And I can do all of that because Christ strengthens me. That's, that is the, the context of that verse. So young people especially, if you go around writing Philippians 4.13 on everything, it's great. I have no problem with that, but know what you're writing. It's not that you can do anything you want because Christ is going to strengthen you in that. That's not the message. The message is whether you're abounding or abased, whether your life is going great right now or, or your life has tons of problems, Christ can give you strength in the midst of all of those things. That's the message uh, of Philippians 4.13. So if we want to have that kind of confidence and, that, and lean into that kind of faith in our life, we must learn not only to be abased and be hungry and suffer need, but isn't it interesting Paul didn't say I had to learn the negative side. When everything's going well, I can do it on my own and I'm fine. 
Is that what Paul said in this passage? No, he said, I've got to learn how to be abased and I've got to learn how to abound. I think that is so interesting. But it's very true. And, and many of you who have been down the road a long ways, you know that to be true. There's, a, there's many rich, popular, important men and women in this world who have no contentment in their life. None. If, you're, if they're being honest about it, they would tell you that they're not content. There's very, very rich people who, if you were to talk to them and really get in a real conversation with them, they would tell you they always want more. They always want more. It doesn't fill the hole. It doesn't fill the gap. They don't feel contented. So Paul says he had to learn contentment in all circumstances and be instructed both to be full and to be hungry. The truth is, when everything's going right in your life and things are just happy and you've got enough money to pay your bills and your job's going well and your family seems to be, uh, everything goes well there, and, and maybe you can, you can call me paranoid if you want. That makes me really nervous. <laughs> I'd almost rather have problems because I think I'm going to get complacent. I'm going to get complacent. I'm going to get complacent. But really, honestly, that's not a bad way to feel. That's what Paul is saying. I had to learn how to abound. That when things are going right, I've still got to trust Christ. Because what happens when we begin to abound or we begin to be full, we, we think we can, well, okay, I, I, everything's going well. I can trust myself right now. I don't, I don't need the Lord. And so we get far away from the Lord, and, and that's not where we need to be. So we need to also learn how to abound and how to be full. But now the trouble with all of this is that these lessons don't take place on the neutral ground of a quiet classroom. That's not where this is taking place. Did you know that life is messy and it's difficult and we live in a fallen world that, that will never, ever understand if you are content in Jesus Christ, you are an alien to this world. That is something that they are never going to understand. If you're not all about riches and status and, and, and being at the top and all of those things, if that's not what really, uh, as my friend Mickey Bowden says, if that's not really what cranks your tractor, then the world's not going to understand where you're coming from at all. Um, so we live in a fallen world that views our satisfaction in Jesus Christ as weakness and our faith as foolishness. So the Holy Spirit must strengthen us and teach us to be content in every aspect of our life and in every circumstance of our life. Now, second, so this is something to be learned. This is not something that comes natural. That's the first thing we want to glean from our passage there in, in Philippians 4. The second thing is circumstances and our contentment. Circumstances and our contentment. So when Paul says, I don't speak in respect of want. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Then he describes that a little bit. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to abound, and to suffer need. So Paul is talking about circumstances. We said that the problem with the world's definition of contentment is that it's based on circumstances. But yet, Paul is talking about circumstances, right? He's giving you the full gamut, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in the middle. Uh, Paul says circumstances are out there. Circumstances are real. So this second point, we want to observe that the grace of contentment is not determined by our circumstances. Whether abounding or abased, full or hungry, whatever state I'm in, Paul says he's learned to be Content. So his contentment is not connected to the positive 
or negative circumstances that he is in in the present moment. The world, apart from the grace of God, doesn't understand contentment in this way. So that is going to be the key difference. This, this point is really going to be the key difference between a, the world's definition of contentment and what Paul says in the scriptures and what God, through Paul, tells us in the scriptures about contentment. The world's view is based on external circumstances and the present situation. And in that view, contentment is possible because... So in the world's view, let me clarify. So in the world's view, contentment is possible because everything's going my way right now. I have a good job. I love my spouse and my family. And I enjoy a good church situation. And I have enough money to pay my bills. And, and everything seems to be going my way. So I am therefore content. The problem with that understanding is that it's based on circumstances and external factors that are certainly going to ebb and flow throughout the course of your life. Those of you who've been down the road a little while, you already know this. You know that lesson very well. Um, life is not, I think when we're young, sometimes we see life as this straight line. And it's just going along and, you know, and, and probably a straight line that's, that's kind of Increasing Things are just getting better and better and better. You know, I can't wait till I'm not a teenager anymore and I'm a young adult and I can pay bills. No, that's not what they say. But they, they don't know that yet. But, you know, they just, it's, it's just a straight, that we all know that's not right, is it? The line is not that straight. There's, there's valleys, there's mountains, there's good things, there's seasons of difficulty. And through all of those things, the truth is financial stability can be fleeting. Marriage is difficult. Our families can be difficult sometimes. Um, believe it or not, even our churches can experience seasons of difficulty. So contrary to the opinion of even some popular preachers today, following Christ doesn't guarantee that all of your trials and tribulations are over. Well, if I follow Christ, every day is going to be a Friday. False. That's wrong. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what Jesus promised. Jesus didn't say, come and follow me and all your problems are over. In fact, what he actually said is exactly the opposite. Come and follow me and you're going to be persecuted. And the world's not going to go along with you. And you're going to be going opposite of the current of the world. That's, that's what Jesus actually taught. So Paul is writing these words. I think this is really important for us to understand. Paul is giving this treatise on contentment from a prison cell. Paul is writing these words from prison. And yet he can write, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So Paul, as he's sitting in prison, says, I've learned to be content. Even sitting here in this prison cell, I'm content. As the words of the old hymn say, God has not promised skies always blue, flower strong pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, peace without sorrow, joy without pain. That tells us there's the ups and downs of life. That's what God uh, has, has promised us. And I'm glad that song doesn't end there, by the way. I can't just end there. It also says that God has promised strength and rest and light and grace and help from above, unfading kindness and undying love. So there, there is good news there, right? God doesn't leave us alone in all of those things. And that's going to be the key of where we're headed. A believer's contentment is not to be founded or based on circumstances that will ebb and flow through our life. So 1 Timothy Chapter 6, let's turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. That verse 
If you, if you wanted to just have a verse to head into the new year with, that would be a great one. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? I heard that one when I was younger. You're not going to carry any of this stuff with you. We talked about earlier how if your contentment is based on what the materialistic society would tell you to base it on, you're all about collecting stuff and, and having the best toys and the biggest house and all of those things. You're not taking it with you. Either somebody else is going to enjoy it or it's going to burn up. One of those things is going to happen. So we brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Now, from an American standard, would you say that's a pretty low bar? <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Just having clothes and food be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So first I'm going to tell you what this is not. This is not a condemnation of having nice things. It is not a condemnation of those who do have means. Um, there, there's no, the Bible doesn't say that it is wrong to have money or to be uh, even well off. There's, that is not what the, the, the story of this passage is. What the passage is really telling us is that we need to have an eternal perspective. That's, that's the real message of that passage to us is that we need to have an eternal perspective. In, in verse 7, we brought nothing into this world, certain we can carry nothing out. That is having an eternal perspective. It helps believers to avoid greed and, and discontentment with what God has given them, um, even if it consists only of food and clothing, like we said. So it's the desire to be rich that, that leads one to fall into temptation. It's discontentment. It's the sin of discontentment. And that, that this in turn results in the, the love of money, which is identified as the root of all evil in, in verse 10. So... Paul's present circumstance as he's sitting in this prison cell wouldn't warrant strong feelings of contentment from most people in the world. Uh, most, of the, most Americans, if they were thrown in jail, would not be sitting there saying, I'm content. God's been good to me. I still worship the Lord because he's been good to me. So this view of contentment um, is going to be foreign to most of the world. I think it's also good for us at this point to, to mention a few kind of caveats to this. The view of, this view of contentment doesn't mean that you're forbidden from trying to better your circumstance or your current situation. Nothing wrong with that. So you find yourself in a bad position at work. Well, Brother Andy said I'm supposed to be content, so I'm just going to just continue doing what I'm doing. I'm not going to try to do better and get a promotion or go get another job that pays more so I can support my family better. That's not contentment. That's laziness. <laughs> and the Bible also teaches us not to do that. We're to work and to support our, our families. And, and the Bible says those that don't work shouldn't eat, right? So there, there, we need to make sure that there's balance with this and that we understand what it is that we're really saying. So there's, there's no forbidding of trying to better myself, my circumstances, my current situation. You know, like we said, this can be about relationships as well. Uh, maybe uh, in marriage you're having problems. Well, I just need to be content. You know, I'm just going to let things keep going like the way they are. No, 
Um, work on that. Uh, be honest about it and work on it and, and improve that situation. So we don't, we don't have to try to ensure that we have nothing. We have no ambition. We don't work hard to provide for our family or worry about our relationships because then I wouldn't be content. That's not, that's not the biblical view of contentment either. And it's also, I think, must be mentioned that we don't need to oversimplify this to tell those struggling with contentment in their lives that you just simply need to have more faith. Um, that's not the right answer. That, that is the wrong answer, especially for those who are, are really depressed. That's the wrong message to tell them that, well, you must have a problem with your faith. You're just not having enough faith. Uh, contentment can be something that people really struggle with and, and struggle with daily assurance in these areas. And so while there is a simple answer that we're going to get to in a minute, um, Paul is teaching us in this text that Christian contentment is based on something more than our circumstances and our current lot in life. It's fine to have that message, but we don't need to oversimplify it and say, well, if you're not content, you just lack faith and, and you're just not being a good Christian. It's not that simple. Our current reality is important and we definitely need to think about it in a biblically sound way. So thinking about that, can you say today, as you look back over 2023 and we look forward into 2024, that it is well with your soul? That's an important question. That's, that's, a, that's a piercing question because it's talking about your soul. Is it well? Can you say, as I look back over the last year, it's well with my soul? As I look forward to the things that I know are coming up in 2024, can I say it is well with my soul? Have your circumstances made you discontent with your current situation in life? And then that leads us to the question then. So Brother Andy said that the first thing was we have to learn contentment. The second thing, it's not based on our circumstances. Now he's asking me this question. How can, have your circumstances made you discontent with your current situation in life? Have you fallen into that sin? Well, what's the answer? That's where we're headed. So how can we be content if it's not determined by our circumstances? So this is point number three. And I'm going to give, it, give you the answer, and it's going to sound super simple and it's just really three words. Contentment in Christ. Contentment in Christ. Paul third shows us that instead of our circumstances determining our contentment, it is faith in Christ that determines our ability to be content in any circumstance. So when Paul gets to the end of our text, down in verse 13 that we've, we've already talked about a little bit, he doesn't say, I've learned how to abound bound and I've learned how to be abased and I can do all things through Paul because Paul learned the lesson it's not what he says he says the reason that I can be content when I'm abased the reason I can be content when I'm abounding when I'm hungry and I'm full and all of those things the reason for that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me without Christ he wouldn't have that kind of contentment and that kind of confidence in any circumstance so as we said, when we began, Paul actually began laying this foundation of this concept in Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 20 and 21. He says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The, the 
poem that was read for us. I don't know if that was a poem or not, but whatever that was, prayer that was read for us, that it said this in a very beautiful way. But what Paul is really saying there is you want to talk about some extreme circumstances. Paul says, if the circumstance means that I die, Christ be magnified. Christ is going to be magnified in that. If, if, if God's will is for me to live and for that to be difficult, then Christ be magnified in my body whether it be by life or death, whatever the circumstance may be, he says, the goal of my life is that Christ be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. So that's a, that's a huge, huge statement that he makes. Regardless of his circumstance, even to the point of life and death, Paul says Christ shall be magnified in his body. Then we go to Philippians chapter 3, moving on, where he says this, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. So Paul lists many things that would, from a worldly perspective, bring contentment. Paul was a pretty important guy. Do you know that? He had a pretty good pedigree. He was a pretty important guy. He was pretty smart. He had had the best teachers. He had a lot of things going for him from a worldly perspective. So if he's talking about circumstances, Paul's circumstances were, were pretty good. And as he lists all of those things that would normally bring contentment, he says, but I've counted, I've reckoned all of those things as nothing. He actually says as dung. And all of that should be discarded to win Christ. It's more about Christ. If we were to consider Philippians chapter 3 as the balance sheet for Paul's life, what he does here is he takes, so a balance sheet, for those of you who might not be familiar with that term, if you have a business, you're very well aware of what a balance sheet is. But a balance sheet, you put assets on one side and your um, debits on the other, what you owe on the other side. And so Paul is kind of going through this list. And if we were writing it down, we would probably be writing it down on the wrong side. Because Paul's going through all of these things that the world would consider as great circumstances and great assets. And I was born, you know, in the tribe of Benjamin, all of these things. And he's just writing them down. And you're writing them down on the asset side. But then at the end, Paul says, I hope you got an eraser because I have reckoned all of those things as loss. They all go on the loss side of the column. And the only thing that goes on the profit side is Jesus Christ. Well, if our life is that, if, if that's the way that you view your life, then your circumstances become irrelevant, right? All of those things that, that we would say seem so important to us from the world's perspective, we say all of those things can be lost to me to win Christ. That is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Now, in our text, he begins to apply that same concept directly to his personal contentment. When we see Christ through faith and we value him above all else, our circumstances no longer determine our contentment. What a great place that would be to be fully. Because here's, here's, the, here's the little caveat to this. None of us are going to reach that perfectly in this life. We're not going to reach that perfectly. Um, I, I have thought that before. Like, why couldn't God have made it that way? <laughs> that when we're born again, he just, you know, it, all the work's complete. And, and we're just glorified and all of that. But that's not the way God intended it to be. We grow. We are sanctified. Sanctification uh, of our souls is a process that we go through. We are being made more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. 
It is a work that is ongoing in the life of the believer. And I believe it's a work that will be done and will continue. Uh, I believe what Philippians 1, 6 says, that he that had begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. That work is going to continue in your life. So for us to have contentment, it takes the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And it's, it's, what it's really doing to us is giving us more of that eternal perspective that we talked about. And it's, it's putting Christ ever before our eyes and it makes the things of the world begin to fade. Have you ever been around, for those of us in the ministry, we're blessed with this a lot to get to be around people when they die. And the closer, sometimes I've been around people who had cancer and I had to go visit them for over maybe even a year or two year period. It's amazing what happens during that time. The things of the world just start fading away. They're just not as, they're just not as concerned. And what their concern becomes 100% is Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go see Jesus. Uh, and I, I believe God gives us that grace when the time comes. But, oh, that we would have that mindset before we get to that place in our life, that we would have that eternal mindset uh, even in just our daily lives. So our challenge then is to, is to refocus our eyes from the circumstances of the moment to the God who declares the end from the beginning. Do you believe that about God? Do you believe that he declares the end from the beginning? Well, then he can control your circumstances in your life. He alone is worthy to bring a contentment that shines through even the darkest night of our earthly circumstances. And we're not taken away from that. I'm sure that there's people in this room who have faced dark, dark times in their life. Really difficult circumstances. But Christ is able and he is worthy uh, to... to to see you through all of those things. And so that's the next passage that we want to go to. And I think it's the key for this point that we're saying our contentment is in Christ. Is Hebrews 13 and verse 5. <clears throat> Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation or your way of life, your manner of life, be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's such an interesting verse. In this passage, we're told, we're, we're not told to be content because God will provide money and all the material things that we need and, and he's going to step in and fill the gap for you. That's not what the verse says. It starts talking about material things and it ends with a personal pronoun. He says, God tells us in this text about contentment, be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where's our focus supposed to be? On the things that we don't have or the things that we think we need? He says, no, you focus on me. I will never leave you or forsake you. Money, I don't know what your situation has been in your life, but money can come and go. <laughs> it really can. I promise you, I've seen it. I've seen it come and go. Um, our status in life, you may think, man, I've worked my way up the ladder and the corporate ladder and I'm, I'm way up here and I'm a CEO now. Do you know that could be taken away from you in a moment? In a moment. So you could work your whole, if, you're, if your whole life is about climbing that ladder, somebody could take that away from you in a moment. You know what they can't take away from you at all, ever, under any circumstances? Your relationship with Jesus Christ. That is solid. 100%. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We are in his hand and his hand is in the Father's hand and we are secure in Christ. So in this passage, that's what he is, is focusing us to is Jesus Christ himself. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
So the antidote to the love of money is contentment. And contentment comes from trusting in God's promised provision. The greatest provision that God has ever provided for his people is the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. God has provided and is providing and will continue to provide many other blessings in the lives of his people. Did you know that? I mean, just think about that for a minute. So, yes, I am saying that all those circumstances are, are not what we base our contentment in and that we base our contentment in Christ. But I think if you're honest with yourself and you look back over the year of 2023 that we're now coming to the end of, when you look back over that, would you say that God added to that blessing of Jesus Christ with other things? I can think of a ton of things in my life that he's added to that above and beyond, and, and Christ would be sufficient. And yet he adds all of these things to us. He gives gifts to his children. So we look to Christ for our contentment, and because of that, our circumstances lose their power over us in this area of contentment. The life of faith, trusting, and leaning on Christ will have a joy and a peace and a contentment that the world cannot understand. That's what Paul is teaching us in Philippians chapter 4. So now that we've kind of unpacked this text, I promise this will go really fast. I, I am aware of the time. I do want to leave you, though, with some, some very practical ways that we can work on contentment in our life through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. These are things that he would lead us to to help with contentment. If you're if you are struggling with contentment in your life and the sin of discontentment, then, then these are some practical helps that could help you. So the first one is rejoice in the Lord. That is really simple, right? It's really simple, and yet it's really important. Paul says that we are to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. It's easy to forget due to the business of life and all the things that we have to deal with, uh, what we call the tyranny of the urgent to take time and remember our joy in the Lord. But worship can lead our minds back into right thinking and away from the very things that are causing our discontentment. So you're discontented with a certain relationship in your life or you're discontented, like we said, with um, maybe you know, financially you're, you're going through some troubles and you're, you know, it's really hard to make ends meet. Rejoice in the Lord. Um, worship the Lord. And it'll change your perspective a little bit. It'll make you more thankful to the things that you do have and get your mindset uh, in the right way. So make worship a priority in the coming year. Take time both personally with your family and corporately in the church to worship God and learn more about him and all he has done for you. That will change your answers to the questions that we started this with. When we said, what is it that your life is based on? What brings meaning to your life and what brings true joy in your life? Rejoicing in the Lord and worshiping him and knowing more about him will change your answers to those questions. Secondly, count your blessings and give thanks. I think this one kind of goes without saying a little bit when you're talking about contentment, but it's, it's important for us to count our blessings and give thanks for those things. And the second part of that, I think, extremely important. Don't just count your blessings, but give thanks to God for those things because they ultimately come from him. Contentment and thanksgiving are, are very closely related. The discontented heart is saying that what I have is not enough or not what I desire. What God has given me is not enough or it's not what I desire. That is an ungrateful, unthankful heart for all the things that God has given you. So those two things go together very closely. So we need to take time to remember all that God has done for us. In Psalm 103, verse 2, we read, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. In Psalm 107, verse 1, we read, 
Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. So remember his benefits and give thanks for those things. As you enter this new year, it's a great thing to do. I think a lot of times at New Year's, we make a lot of goals. We talk about the future a lot. We say, in the coming year, I'm going to do this or that. The gyms will be full. Uh, in the next two months, right? Everybody's going to go back to the gym and get in shape, and then come March, it goes back to normal, uh, if, if that long. But everybody's all about goal setting and doing new things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think an, a really helpful exercise is also to take time to look back over the past year and see all the ways that God has led, all the blessings that God has given you in the past 12 months, and then be thankful for those things. Thank Him for all of the ways that He's helped you in the past year. That'll give you a great vision and direction for the new year once you do that make sure that you thank god for all of those things reminds me of the 10 lepers so that's a simple little like children's story right but it teaches such a great lesson all were healed one remembered to come back and give thanks we need to always come back and give thanks for all the things that god does in our life counting our blessings giving thanks to god will refocus our minds again just like worship does into right thinking about our current reality and also remind us of God's goodness. Now, the third one, this one's big and I'm gonna to try to do my best to make this as quick as possible. This is a, a huge topic. But the third thing, if you wanna battle discontentment in your life is to filter your thinking. Filter your thinking. And I don't know if that's original to me. Um, I didn't get it from anybody, but somebody's probably said it before. Filter your thinking. Our, the practical way to fight discontentment is to filter our thinking through the precepts and principles of Scripture, and that will help guard us against discontentment. Many times our feelings of discontentment are rooted in worldly thinking and worldly philosophy. What is this world all about right now? You know, get yours. Um, get all that you can while you can. YOLO. Right? You only live once. So... Man, you better pack it full because this is all there is. That's really the backbone of that philosophy, right? This is it. So you better enjoy it while you can. Well, for the Christian, we know better than that. I hope this is not it. I hope this is not all there is. There's got to be more, and there will be more. And what we will experience in eternity, Paul said, it's not worthy to be compared. It's, there's not even a comparison to be made. So all of this is about filtering our thinking through the Word of God. And sure, we're basing our understanding of our God and our view of the world around us and even our own desires and our own selves filtered through the truth of the word of God. So when we said that earlier, uh, that's really important for us to know those three things. The Bible teaches us who God is, what he's like, his characteristics, all of his attributes. It also teaches us about the world, but it also teaches us about ourselves. And that's a really important lesson for us to learn as well. And what the world's going to tell you about who you are and what you should expect and how you should live is going to be drastically different from what the Bible tells us about who we are and how we should live and about ourselves. So because we live in a fallen world, we need to filter our thinking through what we can count on 100%. You know what that is? There's one thing in the whole world that we can count on 100%, and that's the Word of God. The Word of God is truth. Uh, it is the foundation of truth, and, and that is under attack in our day. 100%. Um, people don't believe that the Bible is true, that the Word of God is true, but it is what we base how we live and who God is and who we are and, who, and what the world is like on the truth that we find in God's Word. 
Real, real simply, you can go back to Genesis. We won't turn there and I won't read it for time's sake. But in Genesis chapter 3, you're probably very familiar with that passage of Scripture. Genesis chapter 3, what happens? The serpent comes to Eve and what does he say? Hath the Lord said? Yea, hath God said? You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. What is he really doing there? He is putting a seed of discontentment in to Eve. He's saying, God is holding something back from you. He really doesn't want you to be this happy. If you'll, if you'll go with me this direction, God's holding something back from you. When the truth is, is anything but. And, and we hate to even approach that passage in Genesis because we know the end of the story. What happened? She partakes. She goes to Adam. He partakes. And man fell into sin and that was based on the idea of discontentment god is holding something back from you so the world would like us to believe that and satan would like us to believe that god's holding things back from you you deserve to have whatever you fill in the blank you deserve it if you trust in christ every day is a friday i've already mentioned that one marriage is an outdated institution it's holding you back famous quote yea hath god said from eve so in all of those things, that's the way that Satan would want you uh, to consider thinking. And, and he would mar your thinking in that way. So we need to filter our thinking through the word of God. And also we need to, I think another way we can filter our thoughts is by replacing negative or worldly thinking with positive biblical thinking. Just very, very simply. Um, and, and young people, this is a principle for your life that would help you a ton. If you have a lot of positive things going into your mind, it leaves less room for the negative. That is a, that is a principle that the scriptures uphold that if you would do, it would, it would serve you well. Paul says, uh, think on these things in verse 8 of Philippians 4. Positive thinking can lead to positive actions and all of that together leads to peace. That's what Paul says in verse 8 and 9 of the same chapter. So don't always view everything only from the negative side, but also Fill your mind with positive things. And then last one, and this one's also very simple, is prayer. Prayer for contentment. Prayer is an important weapon for every believer in battling discontentment. If you talk to God and unload the desires of your heart before him, do you know that it's okay to do that, to acknowledge your discontentment, to tell the Lord the thing that, that you're discontent about? Sometimes even the action of trying to do that, you'll correct yourself in the midst of it. You know, am I actually going to go before God and say that this is the desire of my heart? That might even change your mind about what the desire of your heart truly is. But there will be times when, when we need to do that. We need to unload our, the desires of our heart before the Lord. Uh, Colossians 1.9, Paul prays this. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So what does that mean? I'm going to unpack it really super quick. This is what that means. Paul is praying for new believers in Colossae that God would show them his will for their life and that they would have wisdom and understanding because they know God's will for their life. You want to be content? Pray that God will reveal his will for your life and that you feel like you're in that will of God for your life. You'll be the most contented person in, in the world. So pray for that, that God would draw you into his will. Our discontentment comes when our will and God's will get separated and we think that we know the right way so we're discontented when really we need to be on the path that God has for us so now in closing 
I'll share a quote with you from a, a, an old hymn, one of my favorites, that it says this, Oh, what are all my sufferings here, if, Lord, thou count me meet? With that enraptured host appear, and worship at thy feet. If our contentment is found in Jesus Christ, all the trials, all the things that we go through here will begin to fade away. A Christ-centered life is the cure for the discontented, and it produces a steadfast joy that endures through all the circumstances of life. And thank you for your good attention. Enjoyed being with you today. May God bless us all to have a contented year in 2024.